0: Welcome back to Inside the Hive. What a nice thing to say. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm obviously here with my trusted right-hand co-host who's been shepherding us through this wild time, Joe Hagan. Hey, friend. Hello,
1: Emily Jane Fox. It's so great to hear your voice back on the air.
0: What a treat. And I, I have to say, it is so nice to see your face. It's also, I'm in New York City for a very short amount of time. Uh, I'm here and we're doing a quick little intro today because uh, it's a lot of family stuff going on. The baby is meeting lots of her family. Uh, She's getting to see her two sets of grandparents. My parents are on their way. Lee's parents are coming tomorrow. Uh, She's gotten to meet aunts and uncles and cousins and my grandmother, so her great-grandmother, which is such a treat. And I'm telling you all this because I'm in a family mood. Uh, It's a good place to be because our guest this week has just written a book called Family Matters. And our guest is a woman, a dear friend of mine. Her name is Jillian Lobb. And Jillian is part of the Vanity Fair family. Also, Uh, we actually met working on a story about a shaman and a princess. Jillian is an incredibly gifted Photographer and journalist in her own right and she was doing the video along with the story that I was writing and we became fast friends in part because she was grappling with um, as we were all grappling with the time President Trump and the news that was going on and it was a very personal thing to her because her family uh, supported President Trump and she is a bleeding heart liberal and she is also incredibly, incredibly close with her family and she had been documenting and taking photos of her family for 20 years before this. But uh, her relationship and her photos changed a lot when there was such an intense divide in the family over politics. And we would talk about it all the time as it was happening. And she decided to turn her incredibly beautiful and personal photos of her family over the last two decades, and including the last five years as there was this political divide into an absolutely stunning book of her photos and end of their story. And uh, I was lucky enough to see a copy months ago or a draft months ago. And I said to her, you have to come on the podcast when this comes out because it is just striking. Obviously, she's not the only person who comes from a family that was divided significantly over the last five years, but uh, her photos are absolutely stunning and her story. Uh, I'm sure is so relatable to so many people in this country about what it was like to see your family watch Fox News and descend into something you didn't totally recognize, but love them anyway, and try and figure out a way through it.
1: Well, I, for one, I'm one of those people, mm-hmm. you know, who had a divided family only recently I would say, mended after a lot of um, fractious and bad feelings, you know, fractious relationships and bad feeling. My, you know, my sisters wouldn't even talk to my parents for like many months after the election. They were so angry. And that, you know, I understand that. And I've seen some of these photographs you're talking about. I I saw a little preview of them. And they're really just to underline and italicize what you said, remarkable photographs and and kind of both beautiful and horrifying at the same time. But there's an intimacy to them Mm -hmm. that really kind of brings something new home. And, um, you know, uh, I know you're about to uh, have a big family confab there and probably are grateful not to have that happening. But you've done a great interview here that's going to bring us behind the scenes to what it's like to both be in such a family and to be photographing it, to turn it into art.
0: That's exactly right. We, we talk all about that and, and all about her family. It's, a, it's you know, her family is a, a, an East Coast loving Jewish family that feels very familiar to me and I can relate to so many of the photos that she's taken and her eye is incredible I actually have a photo from it's the cover of the book it's a photo of Jillian's grandfather and when Lee and I got engaged Jillian uh gave us a a print of the photograph so it's in our apartment and I love it because it kind of reminds me of my family even though it's not mine and uh I feel like so many people relate and and Jillian and I got to talk all about loving your family through differences and sometimes not loving them through differences and the process of sort of being an anthropologist in your own life. And, uh, it's a fascinating interview. I urge you all to stay tuned and listen to it, but also to read the book buy the book. These photos are absolutely stunning. And maybe, you know, Jillian and I talked about the end, what it's been like post Trump and, uh, post this book. And I am curious what, what you, Joe, are feeling with your family. I know you just said that things are just starting to sort of open up again. But uh, listeners, if, if you're hearing things that echo what you're feeling in your own families, tell us what it was like after the election. Has it changed? Has it gotten better? I'm curious if just having Trump out of there has mended wounds or if it's going to take longer than that. So tell us, tweet us, email us. We're, I'm genuinely curious to hear. I think this book uh, opens up a lot of discussion points. And I know that this is stuff we'll talk about for a long time to come.
1: Absolutely. And I'm, I I want to echo your sentiment that people should uh, listen to this, go have a look at these pictures and talk to us about it. Come on to Twitter or email us or whatever communique you'd you choose and and give us uh, your own report from what's going on out there in the world um i can't wait to hear this should we get to it let's listen
0: hi it's Radhika jones editor-in-chief of vanity fair if you love digging into the week's political headlines subscribe to vanity fair This is the greatest joy that I get to have my dear friend and incredibly talented photographer and now author, Jillian Lobb here. Jillian, welcome. Yay!
2: Yay! I am so excited to be in conversation with you um, and before we were friends, I was a fan of yours and The Hive and your podcast. So, um, so I'm just really excited to be
0: talking to you. Well, I want to back up and talk about how we met because I think it's important. But first, I just want to tell you and and everybody listening that your brand new book is far and away my favorite thing I've read this year, and will probably be my favorite thing I read for years to come. It has been very happily sitting as the only book on our coffee table for months because I was lucky enough to get it early. And it is just spectacular. The photos are stunning and, and just really capture a moment in time in a family that is obviously your family but could be any of our families. And the story to go along with it is the story of an age. So thank you for writing this. Thank you for being here and for the work that you put out. It's so big and small at the same time, and I mean that in the best way. Wow. I'm blushing. And Don't that blush. Means, that means a lot coming from you. Well, can I mean, we just back up for a second? Yes. I met you, I think I met you not that long ago, but I, was it 2017 or 2018? It was 2018. Okay. So you and I met through work. Uh, because I was working on a story about a shaman and a princess, and we brought you into the Vanity Fair family once again for it. Uh, And you and I spent a lot of time on a very crazy story with very interesting people, uh, working on an incredible video of these two people. And that story and working with you was a whole other journey that we could talk about another day. But I very distinctly remember <laughs> oh it was a journey I very distinctly remember you being so engaged in all the things that were happening around President Trump and his family and asking so many questions about the things I was reporting around those people and not not only because you are a news junkie and a journalist in your own right and you care about the news and politics but because everything was very personal to you and I remember having many conversations about your family and what was happening in your family when we met. And for years since then, we've had these conversations and now you are sharing that story with the world. So, so tell me why you decided to write this book and what was happening in your inner life to get you to want to share the story and open up about it.
2: So, Wow. I met you at a time that um, it was very intense for me. The The past five years have been incredibly intense for so many people, but I happened to meet you when I was going through the journey with my family because my family became like very passionate Trump supporters um, in 2016. And I think um, I went through all different waves of trauma from that. And I think I was really working through it when I met you. Why I'm sharing that with the world is because while I was going through that, I am a photographer and I just had been photographing my family for 20 years. So it was never really a project. It's just something that I did. Me taking pictures and documenting my family was just something that I did. So Let me ask you. I
0: want to ask you. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I want to ask you. um, Talk to me about the kinds of people besides your family you were taking pictures of, just to put this in context. And then I want to ask you more about what it was like to photograph your family before all of this. So I take pictures
2: of so many different people. I mean, um, I'm just first and foremost just fascinated by people and their stories because everyone has a fascinating story. So whether it's Dolly Parton or my next-door neighbor. Um, I photograph politicians. I photograph just – I'm just fascinated by people. So they don't have to be famous. So my stories range from, you know, I spent 10 years photographing this town that had segregated proms in the South. Um, So really my interests range, and I never thought of my family as they're just my family. Why would anyone else be interested in them? But then I realized that so many people were going through what I was going through and no one was really, there wasn't a place to talk about it. And it's almost as if I had like a secret society, secret support group and really thank God for my work, really making this work through the period was so cathartic and helped me kind of navigate my way through my family, if that makes any sense. Does that?
0: A thousand percent, and it's sort of the book. It does a really interesting thing because it really is such in all of it is such a love letter to your family, uh, and it is so personal. And at the same time, you manage to uh, look at them like an anthropologist would, and you are you are a journalist, and you for your whole career have been documenting things for the New York Times and for Vanity Fair and for. Time magazine and, and every place, every news outlet, and you go in, uh, with an open mind and with your camera and you document things. And what is so spectacular to me is that you sort of turn that objective eye on your family at a period when it was so deeply personal and deeply upsetting to you, but you were sort of just documenting it as a way to, to get down history. I I think that What's fascinating to me, you just mentioned this, is that you had been photographing your family for many, 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 many years before this. How did they get comfortable with you having a, f- a camera in their faces? Sort of, I, I, the book goes through. Years of very intimate moments and you just having your camera right in their faces. What is that like in a family? I don't
2: know if they would say they were comfortable. They just <laughs> basically put up with me. <laughs> Comfort is not something I would describe. They're mostly annoyed by me. Um, sure. Um But, you know, they just accept and respected, like, this is what, and celebrated, like, this is Jillian. This is what she does. Okay. And I do have limits, you know, and I respect, there are some of my favorite pictures, some of the pictures that I think are the strongest I had to sacrifice and not show because I respect their wishes not Mm. to show them. So it's a fine line because I'm looking at them and I'm almost like an, I'm an insider playing the role of an outsider and an outsider looking I know that's that I'm not saying that right. So no, well,
0: yeah. you hundred percent okay. are. And and I wanna talk about that line. And I think what you're saying about being an insider and an outsider reminds me of how you how you open the book. Am I gonna embarrass you if I read a passage from the beginning no. of the book? Okay. What? It gets me somewhere. You're, okay. Okay, great. So you start the book. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you, I'm gonna read it. Okay. You say, one winter afternoon in 1999, when I was a student at the International Center of Photography on Manhattan's Upper East Side, I was taking a cigarette break with one of my classmates. I can't believe you were smoking, but okay. Um, I know. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> one, crazy. One of them, a Norwegian guy who was working on a project about capitalism, pointed to some people on the sidewalk walking in our direction. Look at those vulgar women in their fancy fur coats, he said. I nodded in agreement at the lavish-looking pack, many of them with lipstick so bright we could see them half a block away. But as they came closer, a terrible realization struck. It was my mother, my grandmother, and my aunt Phyllis with their entire Wednesday art appreciation tour group. "'Jillian, oh my god, what are you doing up here?' Grandma screamed. They surrounded me with hugs and kisses. The smell of the perfume made it hard to breathe, but their enthusiasm made it impossible not to smile.' I come from a family of very expressive people, not just in how they talk, but in how they present themselves. Most of the time I got a kick out of them, but on the sidewalk in front of ICP, I felt mortified. On the one hand, I wanted to grab my classmates' arm and plead their case. You don't understand, my ancestors barely escaped death from anti-Semitic mobs in Ukraine. They fled to a foreign country, faced discrimination, worked their fingers to the bone, and managed to build something incredible. But I also understood That what they built, a life of emotional and material too muchness, could be seen as a crude decadence. I understood this because it looked that way to me too. I was never particularly fond of rules. I was the girl who got kicked out of her own grandfather's summer camp. But as I got older, this rebellion took a thornier turn. I became, in effect, the family challenger, questioning the privileges that seemed to characterize our lives. That day on the sidewalk, I wanted to both hug them and hide from them. So that is how you open your book. And I think uh, that is the first instance of this tension that you have in your family that you both loved them for who they are and felt like a little bit distant from who they were at the same time. Yeah. I understand that because I am the only person in my family who moved away. I am the only person in my family. I now, you know, for nine years lived in a different city and now I live in a different coast than my family. And in some ways, I'm so of my family, and in some ways I'm so not of my family. And there is this tension that I think you were born with and then a tension that you grew into. And I'm wondering how you felt growing up having distinct views from your family and how that evolved as you sort of documented them.
2: Well, it's funny, and I just have to say, I think that that's something. You and I have this, like, Bond. I've always felt like an immediate bond with you. And I think that we have very similar family lives. We are both so like passionately devoted to our families and love them just madly. But yet I can feel that like you're a little different. Like we all, you know, I we, we, we had to carve our own paths and um, And not follow, you know, the I I think what I think is really interesting and what I'm really interested in all the work that I do, it's like we're given a narrative, right? We're 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 born into a narrative. And what do we take from that narrative? So it's I'm constantly questioning myself, and I'm also interested in in different subjects throughout the years. It's like, what do we take from that narrative? And, and what do we change? Like, do we rewrite our script? How do we rewrite our script? And I think I was, this whole time, subconsciously, I wasn't even conscious of it. I was really, as I was photographing my family, it was really, you know, I started as an art student in, in school. I wasn't conscious of it, but I was really trying to understand my place in the world, my place as an artist. Am I an artist or am I going to, am I going to, you know, Take the path that is expected of me. So I really had to um, kind of fight for the path that I felt was was mine, mm. um, and that's the tension. Um, and then you know, it just it just kind of grew into a larger story as we came into contemporary life now.
0: Right. Well, I think that that for so long. The tensions, at least the way I, I read it in your book and the way I saw it, the photographs, the tension was maybe your family spoke loud and they had very traditional uh, male female dynamics. And um, maybe the way they dressed or, or talked or sprayed their perfume was different from yours, but uh, you saw their hearts, you felt their souls. Oh, yeah. and, and so the tensions were sort of easier to reconcile. I think that That's right. in 2016 there was a shift and I think that the tensions were, were harder to reconcile. Do you want to just talk about the beginnings of how things shifted? I don't know what your family's politics were growing up or if politics was even something you talked about, but was it a surprise that your family started uh, leaning into supporting Trump? So my, my,
2: my parents have always been fiscally conservative, but really liberal, um, in so many other ways. I don't, we never really talked about politics much. Politics wasn't something that, um, like I was always kind of jealous of families who talked about politics at the table. It wasn't, we didn't do that. So it's like, there were certain taboos that you don't talk about. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about money.
0: You don't talk about sex. Like These were just like certain taboos. By the way, these are all things that my family does talk about at the dinner table. So go on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is
2: so funny because we're loud Jews, yeah. right? So there, there's so many contradictions here. Um, here's what's interesting. You know, my dad, you know, thinks Bill Clinton was one of the best presidents we've ever had. So he, so they weren't, this was a shock to me. This was a shock to my system. This was a shock to, I I mean, I thought that this went against everything that I was raised on, every, all the values that they raised me on. My parents are good people. They are really deeply good people. No one who grew up with me when I tell friends or they, no one believes me. It's like their jaw is on the ground. When I tell them, they're like, your parents cuz they know them they know their hearts their souls everything so to me it was so antithetical to
0: everything that they believed in so what let me let me ask you then what do you think it was that that made them support trump were they watching fox well, news was it i think uh, so there's a couple of things so
2: first of all they were fox news junkies so i really do 150% i don't want to they i blame but i but i i think a, fox news is responsible for their views they think i'm brainwashed by other news outlets so so it's just like we are getting our information from totally separate places mm. And, and that's, they literally, you know, wake up and fall asleep to Fox news. So, and, and I started to listen to Fox news and and watch Fox news because I'm like, I need to understand what they're hearing. Like we are just, we're talking about two different narratives and I get it. It was, I, I see after listening to Fox news, it's like, oh, they're brainwashed and there's other things at play. I mean, another small you know, kind of micro story that you can, um, kind of get from the book is, you know, we grew up in Chappaqua and we were kind of considered the gauche nouveau riche Jews. And my father wasn't allowed into any of the country clubs. No Jewish people or black people were allowed in the country clubs. That was just, that was like a known thing. And he really, really, really wanted to play golf. And the only club that would accept him was Trump national golf club. Mm. So we grew up going to you know the bar mitzvahs were there the um my nephew's bris was there and I was always like, when I was photographing, it's so funny, you know, Trump has his logo everywhere on the, on the, everything on the water bottle. So every time I was photographing, I was constantly moving the Trump paraphernalia out of, out of the
0: right. frame the whole time. You know, it's, it's interesting because you, you mentioned that, that your, your nephew's is and That was a photo that I really stopped on. Uh, and it's actually, I believe the first Time that Trump is mentioned, and it's on, I think, page 56 in the book. I specifically remember this because it's pretty deep in the book that his name is even mentioned, and the context in which it's mentioned has nothing to do with him as president. It's him accepting Jews into his golf clubs. And what I thought was so fascinating about the book is that the first 100 pages are just a love letter to your family and sort of explaining the dynamic and and how you fit into the family and how, who your family is and on all the complexities and all the specificities that make them them, but also deeply relatable to anyone who's close to their family, but you get a hundred pages in and then there's a turn.
2: Yeah. I, I really, that was really important to me because in this time, I think that everyone has become a caricature you know, every, it's, it's, we're living in such a divisive time. It's like, it's incredibly polarizing. This person's good. This person's bad. It's either all or nothing, black or white. So it was really, really, really important for me to establish these characters. You know, these are people whom I love and who are really incredible, complicated, you know, we're, we're all, complicated, complex, nuanced humans, you know, so I didn't want Trump to be the center of this. This is not about Trump, you know, and, and, you know, the, while making the book, somebody said, why are you burying the lead? Why are you not starting with Trump? And it's funny because I questioned that a lot. Like, why am I not starting with Trump? It's because this is not about Trump,
1: <laughs>
2: but it is. <laughs>
0: What's so smart about this structure, and I'm glad that you did structure it this way, is because, you know, there are, there are tens of millions of people in this country who voted for President Trump the second time around, and uh, many more million who voted for him the first time around. So it's not a revelation that people in this this country and people in this country who have relatives who didn't vote for him voted for him. I think the way that the story comes across now is that its it was personally incredibly challenging and difficult for someone who does love their family and who has for years accepted them for their quirks and their differences. This feels like a different kind of devastation. And I'm wondering if you can just speak to what it felt like knowing that you felt as passionately about it. Uh, Not supporting him and everything he stood for, and knowing that these people that you love were watching Fox News, were hearing this poison, and believing it, and and knowing that they have good in their hearts, and we're still believing so much bad.
2: It was a depression that I can't exactly describe. And it was confusing because I had just given birth to my second child. So I didn't know if I actually had postpartum depression or it was my family you know falling in love with Trump. <laughs> so it was it was mixed but I think that year 2016 was pretty I still don't know. I think it was mixed postpartum with Trump and I it was you know I laugh now but if I really go back into how I felt it was it was dark. It was a very very um it was a very dark period.
0: I wonder if you can talk to me about some of the specific photos in the book. There are two that are are sticking out to me. Um, they're portraits of, of one of your father and one of your mother. Your mom is in, I think it's her home. And she has a woman for Trump sign very plow- proudly displayed to her side. And then there's a photo of your dad in a Make America Great Again hat on the golf course with golf clubs that are, I don't know what they're called, golf club covers. So talk me through those pictures. Why, you took those specific pictures and, and why you put them in the book?
2: It was important for me to confront, you know, those were visual signifiers. Th- that hat was such a visual signifier. I mean, and I had to confront my reality. And those photographs are very, very confronting. And it's interesting because, again, this is like the whole book is really like a Rorschach test because the same picture that my cousin sees and is horrified by my mom loves. That's me. Yes. What, you know, there's no, she has no shame in that. I was looking at my parents like they were aliens and that they were part of a cult, cult members and how they presented themselves. They were proud of. So it flipped on me because my father would say to me, you're so judgmental. You are the elite that I voted against. You know, look at yourself. You're such a hypocrite. So it really was this moment of reckoning with myself, too, because I usually, I'm usually, i usually very open-minded when it comes to when I'm photographing people. I mean, I spent two days with David Duke and just listened to him talk. You know, so it's like, how can I spend two days with David Duke listening to him talk and rant about how disgusting Jews are, and yet I
0: won't even, you know, I was so intolerant of my parents' views. Well, it's in, it reminds me, at the the book ends with a letter that you wrote to your daughters, and I had uh, made a note of it and, and wanted to talk to you about it, and it's exactly what you were just talking about. Uh, you tell your girls that you approach all of your subjects and all of your work by trying to be objective and find the empathy in people. And it is very hard to do that when you're following David Duke around. And I know this because I do this as a journalist too, but uh, I think we got into this for the same reasons. And we are fascinated by people and people are people, even if they're monsters of people, right. And you, you are there to understand why they are who they are and, Try and tease out some of the humanity so that even if they're evil, you understand where that evil came from. When people ask me why I wrote my book and spent time many, many years and words uh, trying to understand the Trump kids, it's not because I think they're the most important people in history, though they do play an important part. It's because in order to understand who these people are, you have to understand where they came from, right? So you you try and find the humanity in, in all the people you follow. But what I thought was really interesting is that you tried, you said you tried to approach all these people without judgment and with objectivity, but you can't approach your family without judgment. Those are the people you're most judgmental of in in the entire world and you're least objective about it. And so I think what you're saying is there is a struggle to cover your parents as subjects because they are your family and uh, you can't look at your parents with the same eyes you would look at David Duke, right?
2: That's right. That's right. So it's really complicated when your family is your subject. It's, it's a very fine line. And um, I, I am so grateful that they trusted me. They gave me a gift. They, they opened themselves up to me.
0: Well, what did, what did your family say when you said, I want to write a book about this? My family in, in
2: 2017, I was still really, it was in the nascent stages of, you know, my depression and our relationship I thought was really tense. Um, and I got approached to do a multimedia presentation. Um, it's a a pop-up magazine is a night of live storytelling. And, the producer said, hey, I, I remember these pictures. They'd been asking me to present a story for a while. And the producer called me and said, I just remember these pictures of your family at Thanksgiving. They're such characters. I loved those pictures of your family. Do you have any family stories that you want to do for our next pop-up tour? And I said, you know, now's not like the best time with my family. You know, I just gave Birth to my second daughter, I'm I'm just like not in a good way. My parents are major Trump supporters. I'm not feeling comfortable right now doing anything with my family. And she said, obviously the bells went dinging in her (laughs) course. And she said, look, this pop-up magazine is a safe place to share stories because nothing is recorded. And no one shares anything on social media. So this is actually will help you tell the story and I thought god this would be so cathartic if I could actually make work about this and and really express the the struggles that I'm going through it would be so helpful for me. And it was torture. I every morning that I was writing I was I had a like a I don't know how you do it as a writer because i think writing is the hardest thing in the entire world because you just try and procrastinate and do everything you possibly can to not write. <laughs> so they asked me to share this story about my family and i so i did this pop up and i told them that i was doing a piece about them and they know i'm taking pictures of them at the inauguration i mean my i went to DC to photograph the women's March my family was there for the inauguration so I photographed them going to Donald Trump's inauguration like there's there's no secret that I was photographing them as Trump supporters and trying to navigate my relationship to that So I shared the pop-up and I did not think the pop-up was in six different cities um, the last city was New York when I did the pop-up first I, said, I don't feel comfortable you being in the audience. But then after performing the pop-up and sharing the story of my Trump supporting family, I realized, wow, so many people are really going through this same exact mm. experience as me. And somebody came up to me and said, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I thought Trump supporters were all disgusting animals. Mm. I love your family. I want to go out with them. Can you invite me to your next family dinner? And I was like, wow, this is interesting. You know, if I'm able to help somebody who's feeling lonely in their struggle or have people see Trump supporters in a different way. Like, I'm maybe I'm doing something larger than just telling the story of my little family.
0: Well, what's interesting, you mentioned this at the very beginning of our conversation that you sort of found this little secret society of people who were going through a similar thing. The people who did find you and, and see what you were doing and confide in you, was everyone having the same sort of hard time reconciling that you were?
2: So a lot of
0: people that
2: I talked to just refused to talk about politics with their family. The mm-hmm. only way to get by was just they there there was no talk of politics. But again, that caused a huge bridge within their relationships. Um, some people stopped talking to their family completely. And I realized like, I'm not going to allow this man to, be the reason why I don't talk to my family. That is
0: insane. Like that's crazy. But at the same time, you know, you print some text message exchanges with your family in the book and the conversations weren't easy. Yes. You did not allow you to stop talking to your family, but the dynamic seemed strained. Is that right? the, The text messages were brutal. They were brutal. Um, Can you just describe some of the conversations?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I only reproduced some of those text messages. Um, a lot I didn't because they were... The text messaging was, the I think, the most painful. And I think maybe nuance gets lost in text messages, but I lost a lot of sleep over those text messages. They were... There were texting, you know, fights in the middle of the night, in the like all hours. Um, And that's interesting because we wouldn't talk like that in person to each other. And that's also kind of like you realize the toxicity of social media because if I'm having this toxic exchange with my family who I love, look at what's going on in social media. It's just, it's another world. People have their own personalities. So I'm, you know, there were really, really dark things coming out in the text messages that were painful.
0: I think that what you're saying is is spot on. That The anonymity that even people who know each other have when you're not saying something face to face is real. And obviously we were seeing so much of it online, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, It was just completely heightened and and you personalize it. But there were there were times where your interactions in person were strained too you you have beautiful photos of a thanksgiving together that you almost weren't going to go to until your sister said that's insane you have to go to thanksgiving. So so your dynamic was strained across the board, right?
2: It was strained across the board. But you know, there's also there's so much humor in our family. So, th- so it's, it's a, such a mix. And my children, my children love their grandparents. My, gran- my parents love their grandchildren. I was never going to let anything get in the way of that relationship. But there's one thing. I had one line to my parents. You are not allowed to talk to my children about politics. When my children are at your house, I don't want Fox News on. So when it came to my children, um, that's where I drew the line, and that's really why I also wrote this letter to my children at the end of the book because they're they're so young, so they're gonna remember this a little bit, but but I, I want them to understand because they they lived through this, really what this period meant for us and for me.
0: in a different period what was it like at the end of the trump era as president biden got elected as we saw the insurrection on january 6th does a switch instantly flip and everything's back to normal are your parents supporting the biden administration are they watching fox news what what has happened since then because i'm so curious there are so many families who are in position like your family is in And I don't know how it recovers. So I'm wondering how it recovered in your family. So I have to
2: say when we watched, when we watched the inauguration and my father, my mom didn't watch it, but when my father texted me, we weren't talking. We really, there wasn't much talking. Um, I felt, felt obviously such a massive sense of relief. Um, But I wasn't, I wasn't going to gloat the way that I felt some family members were gloating in 2016. So we kind of just kept quiet. Mm. But when my father texted me on our family group text after Biden's speech, that that was the best speech of his lifetime. Mm. And he is for unity i just burst mm. into tears it's like i i i just all of the years of just so much tension just came flooding out of me mm. and um it's not just a switch it's complicated it's not just a switch because obviously i guess i guess there's hope hope is is i have hope again and although we're still living in a really bad, bad, bad situation, and it does feel like the world is still broken. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I, I don't have that constant tension with my family. The the tension with my family, and and they'll say, um, "Look, we're so much more mature than you. We're not mad at you. Look at what's happening in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We're not mad at you because you voted for Biden." Interesting. So, you know, they still think I carried on in a way that they'll never understand. Mm. Even when they read the book, they're like, "We feel so bad for you that you that you can hate a person so much. Like you're filled with so much anger." Mm. And that was interesting that they they read it like they felt bad for me that I was so affected by politics. My dad wow. said, why,
0: why, why do you take it to heart so much? Why, what, like, are, are you okay? I mean, that is, that is the you putting your anthropological hat on where you're, able, you're stepping outside of yourself and saying, am I okay? And why did I hate this person so much? And that is what makes you a, a true journalist. I want to ask you as we wrap up here, because I know I actually, I called you as a friend, the night you were showing your parents the book for the first time. And I got on the phone with your mom as she cried at how proud she was of you. And that was not necessarily the reaction you were expecting. I know that you were incredibly nervous to show them the book. So what did they think? I was, okay.
2: So I was so terrified to show them the book. Of course, they knew every picture that was going in but they had never read a word and i was shaking the whole time i sat with them as they read it and my dad would turn a page and he'd be crying then he'd turn a page and said wow that was a tough page Mm -hmm. and there were moments I, i couldn't exactly tell how they were feeling throughout reading it um because they were crying a lot and um and then at the end thank god I think they really, really loved it and not because they loved how they looked or, but, but that, that to me is true love <laughs> because it wasn't about their ego. It wasn't about them worrying how they looked to the world. They thought I did a good job and they thought that my honesty, they respected my honesty and they respected the work that I made. Mm-hmm. So... I'm just so grateful that that's um, that that was their reaction, given the fact that there are hard things in there. And then we actually had one of the most open conversations we've ever had afterwards, and it opened the door for really tough conversations that we haven't been able to have. And I think it's almost like the beginning of a certain type of healing. Mm and a certain type of um, transparency um, that we haven't been able to
0: have. Well, some of the air is out of the balloon a little bit, right? And so you, both in terms of the political climate and also the work that they knew that you were doing. And so those sort of things have uh, depressurized the situation a little bit and allowed for you to actually talk openly. My, My last thing I want to ask you is, Uh, I know now what you took away from this experience, but for people who read your book, and I really do urge anyone who's listening to this to read your book, uh, if you've had family who has had similar rifts, both about Trump or anything, or even if you haven't had any rifts in your family, it's it's really fascinating. And I am almost certain this will be made into a movie or a television show because it ought to be. Um, But what do you want everyone else to take away from this? So, on a larger level, I I really
2: hope that. Well, I'm excited for certain people. I know that there are certain people who haven't talked to family members, and they said to me, "I cannot wait to give this book to my aunt who I haven't mm. talked to in four years," because it's it's now it's a time of healing, and um, I hope that this can be part of that, and. Aside from the politics of it all, it's a family story, and families are complicated. And I think, and I hope that my family is very specific, (laughs) but I think that it's a story of all the complexities that exist within family, and um, that people that this will resonate with with people in their all their crazy, complicated families. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I know that it will. And I am so grateful for you sharing your family and their love and complexities and your brain with me today and with the world in general. And again, everyone pick up this book. uh, Share it with your crazy aunts and, and start healing and having these conversations. Jillian, thank you for opening the door for everyone to do some of that
1: work. Thank you. That's our podcast this week. I'd like to thank our guest, Jillian Loeb, for coming on. And thanks to our co-host, Emily Jane Fox. Great to hear her voice again. Thanks to our producer, Brett Fuchs, and the people at Cadence 13 who helped make this podcast happen. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and come back next week and the week after. Please support our sponsors the way they support this podcast. And we'll see you next week.